The reading from the New Testament comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please join me as we pray? Father, you've been present with us the whole time. We expect no less with your word. Uh, your word and your spirit are so powerful. It can bring the dead to life. Would you come and move by your spirit through your word in Christ's name? Amen. Two words in English, one word in Greek. In 94 verses used over a hundred times. 59 specific references to it. A third are about unity, another third about love and service, another fourth about humility and service. Jesus kicked it off with the big one, but then the Apostle Paul unfolded many others. What I'm talking about is the phrase one another. And it's where we want to spend time this summer. I've mentioned, as part of us coming back together after the year that we've had, we need to uh, work our community muscles again, don't we? We need to learn to be together. Learn to love. Learn to serve. Take time to be replenished, because many of us are tired, but also trust that that replenishment overflows into love. And we're going to do that this summer by looking at four different passages, spending three weeks on each passage, the first one being Romans 12. But before we do that, I, there's a really important foundation that we have to get a sense of. And we've been hitting it the last couple weeks as we've talked about the body of Christ and as we've talked about unity. Now, I think it's fair to say that in modern spirituality, the tendency is me first over we first. 
And that happens not only outside the church, but even within the church. In fact, it's probably fair to say that when we think about the benefit of the church and the community, it's mostly to support and feed my personal spirituality. But we're in for a contrast when you begin to read the Bible. Because you actually find the opposite. You find we spirituality as the primary thing and the me serving the we. For instance, the Apostle Paul, when he refers to Jesus Christ, 53 times says, our Lord, and only once he says, my Lord. You find as well in the scripture, the group um, focus being on the brothers and sisters, the plural, the metaphor of the family of God, which we've emphasized here. It's something that as modern Western American Christians, we, we need a lot of help. We actually have to relearn together. The Holy Spirit has to teach us together. Now, there may be one place where it's more than the individual that's stressed, and that is marriage. Marriage is held up as the place where, at least in modern society, where my greatest satisfaction, intimacy, all that's going to be met there. And while that has a place in Scripture, it's not the primary thing. It's not the primary one. Joseph Hellerman, who wrote a book called When the Church Was a Family, mentions when you read the Bible, you find that it is culturally situated group strong. Group strong. And you find that the emphasis actually is more upon family than it is marriage or individuals. And, and one reason why that's important is if you're single in the church, and, a, and you know, maybe... Some of you have experienced this teaching. I probably have taught it. But the view, you know, that we're given of the hierarchy of God, wife, kids, church, job, stuff like that. Scripture actually presents a different one. And I think for those that are, that are single, many times you, you, you may have felt, well, if that hierarchy is true, I guess I don't really, I guess I'm sort of second or third tier. You know, the only way I'm going to kind of get into the inner circle of satisfaction is if maybe I find a spouse or I find a, a marriage family that's going to adopt me and bring me in. And that's unfortunate. Uh, let me give you an example. In uh, the second century, B.C. or B.C.E., however you chose to uh, go, in the, in the Jewish wisdom, Sirach, we hear this. My soul takes pleasure in three things, and they are beautiful in the sight of the Lord and of men. Listen to the order. Agreement between siblings, friendship between neighbors, and a wife and husband who live in harmony. A little different than our view. Now, if that were just some extra-biblical literature, we could stop. But actually, you find that same thing reflected in Scripture. When Jesus says to those who are following him, those of you that give up, he says, brother, sister, mother, father, children will stand to inherit, but he doesn't mention spouse at all. And when he talks about persecution, 
and how bad it's going to get, what he says is brother will betray brother. Actually, in the ancient context of Scripture, sibling relationships are higher. The brother-sister relationship is higher. And if you follow this out with some of other Jesus' teaching, my understanding of Scripture is marriage, while it's a blessed thing, it does teach us about the intimacy between God and ourselves. Amen, if you're called to it. But it's temporary. It's going to pass. And what will be left is the family of God, the brothers and sisters of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that individualism is all bad. Some of you that have come from collective traditional families go, I need some individualism. But I do want to say, you know, those of us that have grown up in America, been influenced by America, we have to understand that we are far on the individualistic side. And that the scriptures situated here presents a contrast in something that you and I need to get in on. Why do I say all this? Because it is the foundation of the one another's. You know, they're not just sort of like, hey, this would be nice. How can we not one another if we are the brothers and sisters in the mystical union spiritual family of God? So, with that, let's just look at one another. We're going to look at lots of uh, one another's, but I want to start with honor one another and mention just four thoughts to you. Let me give you a little first uh, definition of what we're meaning by honor. Respect, kindness, deference. We find this in the book of Philippians. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And if you know the passage, who was in the very nature of God, but became the lowest. Now why, you know, sometimes a, a picture tells a better story. As we talk about honor. And this is the visual, the visual that I'd like to put before you. What we're being told here is Christ, who is God of God, light of light. Christian faith teaches that Jesus Christ is divine, the God-man. That as the one who is creator, alpha and omega, sustainer, Lord, savior, the essence of goodness, the essence of holiness, the essence of righteousness, the essence of kindness, the essence of love. He is, as we see in the book of Revelation, worthy, worthy of power, wealth, glory. That one, the most worthy one, spent his entire life on earth seeking to honor other people. So on one hand, you hear heaven going... Worthy, worthy, worthy to him. And what you see on earth is him in every waking minute. His mission is, how can I elevate and show honor to these people? How can I serve them? One of the translations of the little part of our passage where it says, outdo one another with honor, is lead out honoring. 
So how did Jesus lead out honoring? How do you and I become a community that leads out in honoring? You know, there's, there's so much about our context that makes that almost impossible, <laughs> right? Because our, our city is really about calling you here so you can make a mark. How do you stand out, right? How do you catch people's attention? How do you find a way to get honored, even though you don't want it directly, right? Because that would be embarrassing. We find ways to do it where how can I get honored for my smarts, honored for my, you know, uh, body, honored for my sense, or whatever it would be. But this mission we have inside of us to do that. Um, you know, we see it in lots of different ways, like um, our desire to honor people when it's in front of people that we honor, right? Like, have you ever found yourself, maybe it's a client, maybe it's a student you're teaching, maybe it's, you know, uh, someone on the phone in your constituency, and when the member walks in, the supervisor walks in, you take a, a great interest in their honor and care. You know, you're like, you know, a lot of attention to them. While that person's in the room, as soon as they're gone, you know. Parents, of course, do this all the time in front of other parents. <laughs> well, well, Johnny, I think, yes, whatever you think, you know, and then everybody's gone and you're like, sit down, be quiet. We all, we all do it. But I want to say the Christian faith has all the resources and all the belief to put us on the front lines of honoring people. And I think we underestimate this. Sometimes we get confused, right? How do you deal with the convictions of Christianity, the Bible, that are countercultural? Frankly, that the world's going to hate, the culture's going to hate. Yet at the same time, like, find yourself engaged. There's one thing you can always do. You can honor people. You heard that in the passage. As far as it's possible with you. Even your enemies, you can honor them. Honor is such a powerful thing when it's done authentically. And it's just not found authentically in other ways. I mean, we get, because of God's common grace, we, we do get it. I don't want to, you know, it, you see it happening. But the power of it lies in the community of Jesus and what they see. So a couple things about this, and I'm not going to be long in these points. First of all, Honoring one another is often a quiet and hidden work. It's a quiet and hidden work. Think about this. Jesus lived for 33 years. 30 of it we know very little about. And when you get down to it, the three years of ministry, we just get highlights. A day in the life, average day in the life of Jesus. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases. Somewhere in Galilee, some know-nothing region, it's somebody's house, Peter's mother-in-law's house, spending his days healing a bunch of unnamed people, unknown people, a hidden work the Son of God does, an invisible work. In fact, no one really understands who he is and what he's done until after he's gone. I probably told you before, you know, this exposes my lust to be honored, but I think one of the worst things you could ever be is an artist who becomes popular after you die. 
you know, when I hear that, when I'm like, you know, and no one, but after that, I'm like, oh, you know, how, you know, what would that feel like? Well, this is Jesus, right? I mean, we'll get into how it's actually possible because we're, we're lying if we don't. Uh, Zach Eswine, who we had a retreat, and I mentioned him a week ago, but I want to mention a second part of a thing he says. Zach's insight where he says, we are tempted to do large, famous things fast. That's just what it is. But then he says, instead, Jesus teaches us that almost anything in life that truly matters will require you to do small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time. Now, how do you do that? Especially when it becomes to honoring people. One, I think we just say, Lord, this is not natural. This is not easy. I don't want to do this. I need your spirit. I need your help. One thing we do is we begin to get in on his perspective. What did Jesus see that enabled him to do it? Well, one thing we'll get into, I think he was just secure in the Father's love, right? There, you have to believe. The only way that you can make your life mission, I'm going to honor other people, if, if you are grabbing for honor, if you are lust, if you need honor to survive, you're not going to be able to give it to other people because every, every gain is going to be a loss for you. Right? You're going to sit there and go, well, if I give out, then I lose. It was his relationship with the Father. He lived with no honor. In heaven, he had all the honor on earth, no honor, barely any honor. How do you live that way for 30 years where no one honors you? Got to have something. That's one thing. Well, I guess I've already said it. Maybe I'll come back to it. The other thing was his perspective. How about Psalm 8? Listen to this. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, some of you know this psalm. This is David. He says, what is man that you were mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. I was once at this retreat speaking, and it was a, a group of uh, elders, and I don't mean by that senior citizen, elders, te teachers in the church. And there was a guy visiting there, and I said something about the glory of man, and he came up the word, and he said, I'm ha I have trouble with that. My understanding is God has glory. And I said, well, let's look at Psalm 8 together. My, God, I, my understanding is it says in Psalm 8, you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Now, that's not just talking about Christians. Every image bearer made in God's image has been given an inherent glory, dignity, and honor. That's why you and I can honor people. I can, you know, no matter how badly I disagree with people, they could be the furthest of my worldview over here. Their, their lifestyle could offend me. I can always find something because they're made in the image of God. Jesus saw that. I mean, think about this. Jesus had laser beam God eyesight. That means he could see, I, I compare this to, to me and Jesus, maybe you can with you and Jesus. I see very little of people, but what I see often annoys me, offends me, and bugs me, right? Very quickly, I'm like, fault, sin, any given day. 
just driving somewhere. And because I'm kind of compulsive, I find myself throughout the day going, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. You don't have to do that all the time, but I just find myself, it's, it reminds me of that. Jesus has the laser beam. He can see into the soul. He can see everything. When he comes to earth, all he sees is a bunch of selfish people. Even the people that do good, it lasts for a second. And the ones that are fake, I mean, that's what he sees. And yet he's able to honor people. It's because he saw the image of himself. You and I do that. So, uh, you know, I can never get over the fact it astonishes me regularly, and this now moves from just being made in the image to that particular love that he gives those that trusted him and believe in him, that honor that comes from being saved by him. I'm regularly astonished that in 1980, 1980, the Holy Spirit went to a mid-level city. He found a nowhere suburb on a street that had a cliche name a pagan teenager who was clueless about life. And he knocked on my door. What are you that would be mindful of me? This is the story of what God does. So, that's number one, quiet and hit at work. Number two, and I've already been getting into this, uh, we are a people that ought to be devoted to restoring that honor, okay? Now, those, those people that restore stuff, like furniture, they behold the original beauty that drives them to do the restoration, whether it's the table they have, whether it's a tradition that they're restoring. Whoever restores beholds a beauty that has been covered over. So you and I are called to a work of restoration, of honor in people's lives. Sin and evil strip people of honor. They do. Let me, let me give you some examples of how this restoring honor might play out. A, a couple weeks ago, our Women's Leadership Council and our uh, Cultural Intelligence Ministry held an event called Women in the City. Some of you were probably there. And they, they, they really talked about a lot of things, but one of the things that they discussed was, uh, let's talk about a real practical thing we deal with, that is street harassment, right? Walking down the street, unwelcomed comments. They actually showed a video, which I watched, and it was from a Nightline thing of a woman, some of you may have seen this, a woman walking through New York City in one day, and the hundreds, and they recorded the hundreds of things that was said to her. And so this seminar was this effort to say, okay, fellow sisters, this is a reality of where sin tries to strip us of glory and dignity, and let's remind each other with that. Let's talk about strategies. But then also, it sort of bring in, brings to my mind, well, how do I, as a man or a brother, how do I begin to step into that, you know? And I don't think it's sort of like pulling off my, you know, super thing saying, hey, I'll probably get beat up and be of no help. But, you know, I, we love people, even the offender, right? There's ways that we 
engage people. So that's one. Uh, another one is in, um, and you know, this is something that, of course, we're still dealing with in our country. Um, but disagreement equals dishonor in our society. And all of us feel tempted to do it. Let's just be honest. I disagree with someone, and I'm a hair step away from just going, man, they don't, they don't get it. And then after that, it's sort of, you begin to question their spirituality. Do they, do they even love God? You know, do they even read the Bible? And the way it's come out in the church many times, right, is dishonoring brothers and sisters who have different political affiliations. Maybe you voted for the last administration and you, or you worked for the last administration and you felt like, man, as soon as people heard that, they just felt free to dishonor me. Or it's the current administration. Or it's just your particular view on fill in the blank. The church, it's really, the church has been ravaged by this in the last couple of years. It's been heartbreaking to see. And again, if there's anything we can do, right? In fact, the further someone is away from my, my view, the mission to, to move in and honor them, you know, even if I disagree, is there a way I can go, I really do disagree with the fundamental, some fundamental things you're saying, but I honor you. I honor you because of your faith. And I got to believe you have something to say to me something that I can learn from you. We have to do that exercise. If we can't make it work here, why, why, we don't probably have any grounds to moan about the culture. You know. And of course, lastly, I'll mention, it is our commitment to be a cross-cultural church. This opportunity I have to say, I want to know... I want to know more about God's distinctive glory in your race and ethnicity or your gender. I, I want to know that. So, you know, when, when there's a new holiday, Juneteenth, I'm not going to, I'm not going, oh, Juneteenth, what an opportunity for me to know your story. That we move toward one another, brothers and sisters. You know, because if indeed we are bound together this way, the brother and sister sitting next to me, and for you, it might be, I really need to understand white culture because I don't understand it, and it drives me crazy. Or it may be for you, you know, I just don't understand this particular, and no one's monolithic, right? There is no just one white culture. There's no one black culture. All these things that are important to keep in mind. But I think you get my point moving towards someone because I'm convinced of what I believe, moving toward them with the aim to say, I know God has called me to honor you. And man, if I'm called to honor my enemies and people that are far, all the more you. It takes work. It's not fun. I don't want to do it. I, want to get, I just want to get along with people. I don't want to spend my time having lunches with people that I disagree with. Do you? I'm like, no way, man. I do that. You know, who wants to do that? For me, my world is, you know, ministers and presbytery and general assembly. I'm about ready to go to the national meeting. I can promise you there are going to be plenty of people 
that I would, I just, you know, it's, it's almost like certain guys, they talk so much on the floor, I'm just like, it's like skeet shooting. <laughs> I'm like, go ahead, just say it. I'm just, I'm ready to text something to one of my friends. <laughs> I'm just waiting for you. We all do it. We're all in need of this life and repentance. All right, let me move on to two more because time is at us. Um, I already got into this, but I want to read you something that I think is really significant, where the Apostle Paul, um, now many of us are, maybe you've heard this verse as it relates to well, what's called evangelism. For those of you outside of the church, maybe that word scares you to death. It just means sharing good news, good news of God's grace. But many of us have heard this in evangelism, but it's more than that. It gets into differences. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. Why is that odd? Why is that odd that Paul would say that? What? He was, he was already Jewish. He was already Jewish. We'll come back to that in a second. To those outside the law, he's talking about Gentiles. To, to the weak... There he means weak of faith, people that, you know, maybe there's certain freedoms in Christ that you get, but they struggle with that. To the weak, I become weak. I become all things to all people that I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them. Now, he's not just talking about evangelism, because I think Christians are more apt to be patient with the non-Christians in their lives than they are the Christians. You know, it's sort of like... Uh, when we go to the mission field, we're so teachable before other cultures, so patient, right? You're like, tell me about that. You know, tell me about how you stir your coffee that way. I, I want to learn. <laughs> you know, I want to know everything. You know, and you could be sitting there for, you know, an hour straight wondering, why are we not, like, leaving yet? Why? But, you know, you'll do your hardest. And, of course, when we... You know, when we're among one another, it's like, psh, that goes out the window. So the Apostle Paul has this missionary attitude even among God's people because when he says weak, he's not talking about non-Christians, he's talking about Christians. But this is the thing that really hit me on the thing about Paul being a Jew. Paul had come to know his Christ identity so well that he hadn't totally thrown off his Jewishness because elsewhere in the Bible he's, he talks about his love for his people. But he had been freed enough from it that he was able to move toward other people. He was freed enough from it. He had come to know Christ in such a way, whether it was the righteousness of Christ, the acceptance of Christ, the love of Christ, it was a transcendent identity he had. And I think the only way we can move toward people, this is what I was saying earlier, is we've got to have this security. If my identity, the more my identity is rooted in stuff, I'm not going to be able to let it go. And if it's threatened, I'm not going to be able to honor. Does that make sense? You know, it's just, and I, I don't need to tease it out because it's different for all of us. All of us have it. All of us have stuff, failing to honor. I remember once my, uh, oh, I probably, I'm not going to say that, but uh, <laughs> anyway, anyway, 
In short, someone, you know, I went to a music college. Some of you are already laughing. And I was talking to someone, and we were kind of going back about, you know, they were wrong, and I was right, and I was like, you know, and I, you think, and it was getting ugly already, you know, where I was going, you know, you just think you know everything. You think you blah, 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 you know, and I went, I forgot I went to college, and then they said, but you didn't go to a real college. And I just went, and I just ran upstairs. I was just like, I mean, they threatened, you know, I was just like, ah, what can I say to you? I can't say anything to you. I have to leave. I have to flee. It was a real college. <laughs> well, taught music, but anyway. All right, enough of your patience. Let me say this. Uh, offering honor for shame. This is one of the beautiful, I didn't grow up in an honor-shame culture. Um, being in the West. But one of the beautiful things about our book is its understanding of the way God moves in to people with shame and bestows honor and grace upon them. You know, a couple verses, right? Well, Genesis, the man and woman, first big sin, they're naked. He covers their shame. Covers their shame. The psalm that says, those who look to the Lord are radiant, they will never be put to shame. And one of my favorites in the book of Hebrews, it says, Jesus stands up in the congregation of heaven, and he's not ashamed to say, that's my sister, that's my brother, to say your name. He's not ashamed. When Romans 12 says, leave room for God's wrath, which I think on the front end sounds like, well, that doesn't sound very nice. But what it's saying there is this, you know, don't God, God's wrath is just, it's righteous, but it's also amazingly patient. The reason that God, if you've ever wondered why doesn't God just come to earth and set up the new heavens and the new earth, it's because he's waiting for people to repent. Leave room for repentance. And I think one of the things that helps us when we begin to grasp this is when I got someone just where I want and I could just go, you know, man, I could just lay you out right now. We don't. Because as we show honor to people, it, it gives them room. Right? Has anybody ever showed you room so you could repent? So you had a shred of a little bit of dignity left? And so as Christians, we have this ability to say, I, because we live in a day, right? And I'm not saying people shouldn't be called out for their sins and things, but have you, you guys noticed this? Basically, you know, you screw up publicly and uh, you get fried, and then I don't know where you go. These people are sent off to a land somewhere, the land of shame, where it's like, just go away. You know, it's like, we caught you on video. This is what you said. This is what you did. Shame. The world knows how to out you. It knows how to expose you. Doesn't know a thing about reconciliation, a thing about forgiveness, a thing about saying to people, coming to them in their shame and going, there is an honor you can have by God's grace for the repentant. What I'm saying is there's no repenting. 
you know, you can kind of repent, but you, be, you got to go away for a little bit and get people to forget about it. And then you come back and find some way to say it where you don't really repent. And everybody goes, oh, that's good enough. No. And this is where the church, you know, this is where Jesus was going. Like when they would look, the, the, the Jews would look at Zacchaeus and go, no repentance for that guy. The sinful woman, no repentance for that guy. The Samaritan woman, no repentance for her. And that's who Jesus goes to. So as you and I get this honor thing, I think it gives us a, a message for people. All right, you've been patient. I know it's warm in here. You know what happens is the air conditioning gets started in the day, probably to it. Well, we're going to try to figure it out, but I appreciate your patience. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you. You love us. Would you please help us? In Christ's name, amen.